somewhere between 10 and 15 years ago, and I, told, I mentioned this last week, I was praying and I was thanking God that he, you know, he brought us on this miracle journey to this property uh, from our, our wonderful casket warehouse on 13th Street and, uh, and fulfilled prophetic words. But my, my contention with God was, God, where's the rest of the word? You know, because we've always had enough, just barely enough <laughs> sometimes, but I, I'm looking for the more than enough, you know, the, the abundance. And, and the Lord challenged me. I'm, you know, I'm talking to him. He says, why don't you take a first fruits offering? And it was because I didn't know what it was. I mean, I'd heard the term, but I didn't understand why he'd be asking me. So I studied it, and uh, the first year taught with great fear and trembling, like seven weeks in a row on the subject, so nobody would think we were trying to take their money, and, ah, oh, they've come up with a new way, you know? So, uh, but anyway, it's just been the testimony of all these years of miracles being released. And all I can say about the, the first fruits testimonies and the first fruits offering is that it is the sound of the dry bones rattling. You know, there's something when we step out in a first fruits offering, we listen to God, we, we position our hearts that God releases something that we would, in the natural, consider impossible. Thank you, Jesus. Ah, oh, thank you, Lord. And we just pray for the, the release of miracles this year, again, through the dry bones. And I did notice on Eric and Regina's card, there was one thing, uh, there was, re, uh, they were praying for revival in their children's school. And so we just, we just continue to press in and say, God, you know, this isn't just for a year, this goes on and on and on. And that's the thing about offerings just keep speaking. You know, Abel, by faith, gave a better offering than Cain. And even though he's dead, his testimony is still speaking. <laughs> so thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. We just pray that you would open our hearts, you'd open our minds, that Holy Spirit, that we would have revelation today as we Consider your word as we position our hearts before you. We thank you for this house, that it's a place of your presence, a place of hope, that through the years people have come in weary and discouraged and gone out joyful and, and released and delivering the good news every place they go. And I just feel like there's a word today that there's some people there just going, man, God, if you don't give us breakthrough soon, we're sunk, and the word of the Lord is, he's going to give you breakthrough. Okay, so anyway, I know that sounds really general, but for whoever it's for and it's specific, grab onto it. Okay, um, so I want to talk about engaging the possibilities, and that's what we do actually in offerings, but specifically in first fruits offering, and we always have to start with this understanding that God is for us. You know, that he, he didn't spare his son. He gave him for us. And how will he not also with him give us everything we need? How will he not? He's not withholding anything. I love this. I mean, that's Romans chapter 8. But how about Psalm 35? Uh, I love 
Psalm 35, 27, let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. Let them say continually, like this is the continual testimony, let the Lord be magnified, exalted, made huge, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. God delights in our success. He has pleasure. This is the thing he, this is like his hobby, is watching his servants come into shalom. That's what the word translated prosperity there is shalom. He has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Amen? You say, oh God, good, you know, I could use some, I, I want to be part of your hobby. <laughs> I want to step into your shalom. Now, here's another one. I, I love Zephaniah. Zephaniah, a lot of the, the minor prophets, you know, they're at the end of all the prophets of the Old Testament. And the re, I'll tell you why they're there, because they're short. It's just how they arranged it. And so you sort of have to study to find out which prophets went with which occasions and that kind of thing. But Zeph- many of them deal with, uh, with judgments of God on the ungodly, on the nations around, or on hypocrisy within the covenant people. And, but what's thrilling is, is there's these pictures of God's ultimate purpose, even in judgment, is restoration. And Zephaniah is one of those. It has three short chapters, and it just like starts out, um, you know, there's judgment on the pagan nations, and there's judgments on the hypocrites in Israel, and then and you're like, it's getting kind of depressing. And midway through the last chapter, it turns to God's heart to restore. By the way, anytime God's plowing, it's so He can plant a new crop. Just put it that way. Okay, Zephaniah three fourteen. Sing, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O Israel! Verse 15, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. Oh, my goodness. And the king is in your midst. Verse 16, fear not. Verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. I love this. In the New Jerusalem Bible, it says, he will sing over you a happy song. Yes, come on. He will quiet you with his love. That's the standard translation, but the, the New Jerusalem, follow, it actually is following the, the Septuagint, and it says he will renew you by his love. He'll make you completely new. Have you experienced that? Like, there's something when we behold the love of God, we experience the love of God, and it just makes us a new person. So we just declare that over you, that he's gonna sing happy songs over you, he's gonna make you new in his love. And then he's going, and then the last line is, he'll exalt over you with loud singing, New Jerusalem. He will dance with shouts of joy. Now, I don't know how God dances, you know. I mean, God who dwells in unapproachable light, you know, that we, no man can see, and yet we see him because the word was made flesh, and Jesus said, if you behold me, you behold the Father. And I just want you to know, every time you experience breakthrough and restoration, God is doing a happy dance. <laughs> now, I, <laughs> oh, Jesus, come on. It's like he's the, you know, the, the, it, the founder of the Eternal Cloggers Club. All right, so 
He's, you know, Celtic dancing came from somewhere. Okay, I don't know where. Okay, he, now here, here's another thing. So he leaps for joy when you're set free. This is his quote. And then he has plans for your abundance. And many of us are familiar with Jeremiah 29, 11, New International Version, for I know the plans I have for you. They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. When God thinks about you, what he thinks about is your shalom. He thinks about you completely put together, completely restored, lacking nothing. So God, we just declare that over your people. And that's where we begin in our understanding of like, God, why would you want me to give you an offering? <laughs> he said, because I just want, I want you to partner with me in opening up possibilities. And so, oh, you know, um, one more verse that's, that's pretty familiar. Third John, verse two, and I'm reading from the New American Standard. He says, beloved, it's very important to know when, that, that this is a scripture for believers Beloved, you've been changed by love. I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper, that it would go well with you. Do you like that, in all respects? Okay. I'm gonna ask you, do you like in all respects? Like, how about if, you know, well, I'm mostly doing good. People say, how are you doing? Well, I'm pretty, mostly good, you know. But how about if it's all good in all respects that you may prosper and be in good health? How's your health? Well, yeah, it's pretty good considering my age, you know. That, say, well, what if it's without qualification? It's just in all respects. I'm doing good and I'm in good health. And I, I'm thinking, I've been struggling with my health for the last couple of weeks. I'm not sure why, just kind of fighting off some, you know, something that's come to pass. But um, <laughs> I'm still fighting that it would be completely fast. But I, you know, my vision isn't that, well, you know, I'm doing okay considering my age. I say, no, I, my vision is I want to do well like Caleb, like, like Moses at 120. I could say my eye hasn't dimmed. God, help me with that, you know? <laughs> My hearing hasn't diminished. You know, like God, sometimes we just accept what, how it is. And there's certain things that are obviously beyond our control. But, but what if we just say, God, I want to think your thoughts. I want to partner with you in your way of thinking. And I want to believe you for that which is impossible. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. Do you understand? Dry bones don't just rattle, you know? <laughs> something happened, they responded to the word of the Lord. All right. So God, we just pray you would renew our minds with a wholesome way of thinking, of feeling, and of deciding about life, about health, about money that reflects who you are and how you are, and that we're your children. Amen. Okay, so just a, a quick review on some of these first fruits principles, some I went over last week. A tithe is like a thank you we give to God. It's we acknowledge our partnership. God, thank you, you're giving it life. I'm glad, you, you know, 10% is a small return to you. It's awesome. But um, 
a first fruits offering is actually a prophetic offering. It, it's like what we see coming, what we hear God saying, and we're opening up the possibility of a sanctified, holy, supernatural next cycle of our life because it's given at the beginning. Through the first fruits, we sanctify our whole life and everything we love. Romans eleven sixteen: the first fruits holy, then the the whole batch is holy. Come on. The, uh, it, secondly, it's a pattern. It's not law. We're not under the Levitical law. We're just, the pattern is we honor the Lord with our first and our best, and he honors us. So many examples of that in Scripture. Third is, this is a good one, all generosity, not just first fruits, but all generosity indicates grace and love at work in our lives. We're, it indicates ongoing sanctification, transformation. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a great thing? Like every time you're feeling generous, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now sometimes, I know how this happens. You know, sometimes in married, uh, married couples, there are different areas where it's really easy to be extravagantly generous. Like there are certain areas, man, you know, I'll just give away everything. And there's other areas like, no, that's, that's my stuff, you know. And often, there's a distinction. So some of the stuff that's my stuff, that's the stuff Ann goes like, man, yeah, just here, I gave, you know, I gave this and this and this and this, and I'm like, you did? <laughs> Has that happened to anyone else, or are we the only ones? Okay, but see, like, I don't want to shut that down because what I would, I would be shutting down the work of the Holy Spirit, sanctifying her, making her like God, who held back nothing. Come on. And likewise, um, you know, wives, you know, if your husband's being radically generous in an area and you're thinking like, what about the kids? What about... <laughs> I'm just saying, we want to be careful. Not, not that we don't want to, we definitely want to communicate, but we just, we don't want to go crazy and shut down the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit at work in generosity. Since Georgian's here, he has a lot of funny stories about in early days going to these meetings and when he got the generosity thing before Georgian did. And she, she would just write out these big checks and put too many zeros behind it. And, you know, there it went. And he's like, ah. And God always supplies. Isn't that amazing? Like, so God I just set us free that we would understand that you, you, the grace of giving is God's work in us to save us from the smallness of our own understanding. Amen? Amen. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Oh, and it's grace that sets us free. So I think Paul could have written that to you, Life Center, because you've been so generous. There's been such an amazing grace of giving on this house, and we just pray it would only continue to increase because the wonderful thing is grace is a gift. <laughs> it's a gift. It's God giving us his ability. So, Lord, just increase the grace of giving in everything we do. And then um, he goes on in verse 8. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. God is never after our money. It's not like, 
man, you guys, you know, we're trying to do some renovations up here in heaven, but where's your offerings? And he's, he's not after our money, he's after our hearts. Because, and what happens is giving changes our hearts because our treasure locates our hearts. Matthew 6, 20, you know, don't lay up for your treasure, don't lay up for yourselves treasure here on earth where a lot of bad things happen, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where there's no need for a security system, right? So verse 21, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And it's true. You know, whenever we, we do something that we've really invested in, maybe we've had this dream and we just think, I don't know, you know what, maybe you want a new Harley Davidson motorcycle. It's not one of my dreams because I, I, it when I was a teenager, definitely was one of my dreams, not, not a Harley, but a motorcycle. And I had it and almost killed myself. But, you know, or it could be a million different things. But there's a very interesting thing that almost whenever we've put a real investment into getting something, at least for a while, we just want to check on it regularly, don't we? You ever do that? You know, you kind of go down, look in the garage, see if it's still there. Yep, nobody stole it in the middle of the night. Okay, go back to sleep. And it's true, I mean, you know, it's true with, this is what, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I'm thinking of a lot of funny stories, but I know I'll get in trouble. Um, but, you know, it's like, you could, whatever we put our money into, our heart is invested in that. And here's the reality, money is very spiritual. It's not just, uh, it's just money. Well, no, money is part of your life. And when we understand like, ah, money is a spiritual medium that we steward our life with, and we're actually, we, you know, most of us receive money because we've given part of our life to get the money, or we, you know, we've applied ourselves diligently, something that it's a reward that, that we're receiving for what we've given out ourselves. And so we steward it as something precious, like a precious stewardship. And so it's actually way more spiritual than we think. I think there's about 500 verses in the Bible about prayer, and we know prayer is like, that's the most spiritual thing you can do. There's about 500 verses about faith in the, in the entire Bible about faith, and we know that faith is absolutely essential, that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Do you know, so there's 500 on faith, 500 on prayer. There are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that have to do with finances. So God, we just break off any kind of like weird thinking that would separate our spirituality from our stewardship of, of this life and, the, and the, the time and effort and love that goes into and is behind money. Just break it off, break off the fear of lack, break off the, the fear of debt or condemnation from being in debt. And God, we just pray there would be a release this year of people being debt-free and at a level that we've never experienced before in the midst of what looks like, oh, things could be really bad, that God, your people, there would be a testimony time after time after time of debt cancellation, of debts, of provision opening up and debts being completely paid off in Jesus' name. Do you understand? Because it's like, and God, we just pray for, for student loans. 
And not being forgiven by the government, but being paid off by the grace of God in Jesus' name. Do you understand what it means that if all the student loans get paid off by the government, it just means that they're all being paid off by all the taxpayers. Anyway, just, just saying. Okay, so our treasure locates our heart, and we want our hearts to be in heaven. There's an amazing thing. As we give offerings, as Anne said, when, when we put that little tithe check into the offering box, she said, yes, this is my church now. You know, because there's an investment where our heart, where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. Amazing. Okay. Uh, Now, here's something really to set you free. We give according to what we have. And some people, you know, when first fruits offering, there's kind of this whole process we go through that we seek the Lord. We just, we, we focus our hearts. We're, we're trying to get direction from God and then. But then there's this natural thinking that comes in and says, well, we don't have much, you know, so I don't know if anything's, if it's very important. But here's what's so amazing is that God always treats our offerings according to what we have, not according to what we don't have. And Paul wrote that. You know, he, he said, Second uh, Corinthians 8, 12, for if willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. And so... Because we're giving part of ourselves in the offering. This is a total fear not, like no one's disqualified. And so there's these stories. Jesus tells the story of the widow with her her two little tiny copper points. And she puts them in the treasury. She threw them in the treasury. And and Jesus stops his his disciples and says, see that? She, She put in all that she had. She gave more than anybody else. And then there's the story of Elijah and the widow, and we talked about that last week, how Elijah came to her, and, and, and uh, she said, I have nothing except, and then Elijah said, that's great, just, you know, bake me a little tiny micro, a micro cake, and uh, as soon as, then you'll, and as soon as she did what he said, it released a miracle in her life. Here's another great widow story is Elisha and the widow. So Elisha was Elijah's spiritual son, and Elisha had started a school of the prophets, and one of the young prophets in his school died, and he died, and he had a wife, and he had two kids, and he was in debt. Maybe he had taken out a student loan. I don't know how that worked, but anyway, so in Second Kings Chapter four, uh, his widow, his young widow comes to him and she's crying, like, what's wrong? And she said, your servant, my husband, is dead and the creditor has come. Now, we don't understand it. We think like, okay, well, you know, she's gonna have bad credit rating and she won't. No, in those days when the creditor came, if you didn't pay, they could take anything you had, including your kids, and they could make your kids slaves, or they could take them and sell them as slaves. This is a serious catastrophe. And so she's crying, and she says, your, your servant, my husband, is dead, and the creditor has come. In other words, Elisha, what are you going to do about this? Maybe Elisha said, yeah, it's okay, take out the loan. <laughs> I have no idea, but verse two, Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And so, in other words, he's not saying, oh, okay, let me take care of that. He's saying, well, um, what do you have? 
in the house, and she said, nothing except a jar of oil. And what we don't realize, and I didn't even realize this, is it was like, oh, I, I love doing like little word studies on Bible passages. And when she says, I, I have nothing, like I'm thinking like, well, nothing, but of course she has this jar of oil. Well, what she's talking about is a, it, it's a word that means a really small little jar like you would use for cosmetic purposes. So in other words, she's not thinking like, well, this isn't worth anything. I mean, this wasn't like some expensive perfume. It was just a little jar where she could keep some oil maybe to put on her face or put in her hair or something like that. That's what she had. Like, that's pretty pole, you know. And, uh, and then he says, okay, we'll start with that. And very often, we think we have nothing, and God says, ah, I can use even the, the smallest thing to release a miracle. And so then he said, okay, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not a few, and then go in and shut the door behind you and behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So evidently, she did this. She went back home. Maybe she sent her boys out. Look, boys, I want you to go door to door. I want, we're going to ask every neighbor for any empty vessels they have. And, you know, the neighbors are going to be like, what do you need them for? Well, we just need them, you know. So, so anyway, they collected quite a few of these vessels. And the word used for vessel here indicates a large vessel. You know, say like, okay, we've got this little cosmetic jar, and now we've got these big gallon vessels, something like that. And so that's the setup. So once they got them all and they brought them to the house, they're following the word of the Lord that was spoken to them. Do you understand like this took faith? Like, what? well, at least we'll be worn out when they come take the kids away, you know? I mean, what? they're running around, they're doing something to, to see something they've never seen ever in their lives and they're just doing it, and then he says, and then close the door. Why close the door? Because a lot of times miracles take place in private. <laughs> Maybe if they hadn't closed the door, people would say, what are you guys doing? You know, I have no idea. Sometimes we don't want the interference of other people's opinions. Oh, say, okay, kids, look. <laughs> you know, I don't know if she scared them, put the fear of the Lord in them, like if this doesn't work, your guys are, you know, I, I have, hopefully she didn't traumatize them, but anyway. So they get this, so she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons, and as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. I love this. You know, the, the very ones who are going to be most at risk, her children, are now being part of the miracle, you know, like... Okay, mom, this is pretty big. Okay, watch. And, and they start pouring, and a miracle happens that there's this endless supply of oil. And then when it's full, okay, move it aside, bring the other one. And as long as there were vessels, it kept pouring. And when they got, they got one vessel filled up, she said, okay, bring the next vessel. And they said, that's all of them, mom. She goes, oh. And then the oil stopped which is really interesting because the flow, the size of the miracle was proportionate, some almost to, you know, the, the intensity with which they prepared for it, you know, because 
I don't know if there were any more vessels in their town or if they got every single empty vessel in their town. But, one, but God does that. He like worked with them. Isn't that amazing? And then it says, she came and told the man of God. And he said, because now she said, hey, it worked. You know, like, okay, what, what do we do next? Verse seven. He said, go sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Isn't that amazing? Well, she thought she had nothing, and God used that nothing to turn into more than enough. Maybe with the money left over, they started an olive oil business or something. You know, just like, hey, you know, we're good at oil. Let's keep this going. So... Thank you, Lord. God, we just pray you'd break off our own limitation, our own disappointment that lies to us and makes our hearts sick, and that we could hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit. We could hear the prophetic word you're speaking to us. All right, here's another, another, this is, I think this is my favorite thing about giving and why I think first fruits are so powerful. Every time we give, we're planting seeds. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9.16, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously or with blessing will reap generously with, you know, the English standard says bountifully, you know, with a, and then verse seven goes on, it says, each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, notice it's saying, whoever sows, and then it says, each one should give. So it's, when we see this, our giving is planting seeds. And why is that? I mean, seeds are so powerful. I love, here's Brian Simmons' uh, translation, by the way, be praying for Brian, for his health, for full recovery. He's had some challenges. Um, Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving, all because God loves hilarious generosity. There's a joy in, here's what happens. Every time we give, it's like going, I'm rich. (laughs) You know, it's not by how much we've, we've got treasured around us, but it's how much we're able, how much flow can come out of this little jar and fill up great big jars and change the world. So giving is like planting seeds. And I, I love this, you know, uh, seeds, seeds are something that God has as inherent in creation. And I'm telling you, a seed can change an entire region. You know, like one seed, you could have a total desert and someone could plant a seed, probably more than one seed, and that seed, after it multiplies and multiplies and multiplies, could cover an entire region with an entirely different climate, an entirely different um, fruitfulness, and something that's entirely different and beautiful, and God has it programmed into creation that what looks like total waste and desert can become regenerated and become beautiful and fruitful and the desert will be turned into a garden. This is the way of God. 
And this is what, this is the work of seeds. I, happen to, I watched this documentary on, on uh, the eruption of Mount St. Helens, spring of 1980, May 1980. We were living in California then, so it was nearby, a little north of Portland, a little south of Seattle, pretty close to Olympia, Washington. This beautiful volcanic cone mountain blew its top, and it, when it blew off, it blew, it, if it had blown straight up, it would have been one thing, but it blew out sideways, and it, it wiped out with the force, they say, of like 50 or 100 of the, of the atomic bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima. All occurred within, you know, just like a minute or two, and it just devastated hundreds and hundreds of square miles of old growth forest, and you see the photos of it, and there's these gigantic trees. It looks like like um, straw laying on the ground, and, and it just, you know, red hot, you know, rock and poisonous gases rushed out over 300 mile an hour wind, blew this thing out and destroyed everything. This whole mountain was covered with snow. It melted, there were mudslides, poisonous mudslides, just wiped out the beautiful lakes and rivers and, and uh, you know, and it, it was so devastating. President Jimmy Carter uh, flew over it, it a day or two after the, the eruption and when he got off, they asked him, what did you think? He said, well, let's put it this way. Compared to what I've just seen, the moon looks like a golf course. You know, just like, it, in other words, he's saying it doesn't look like there's anything alive. And do you know they had no idea how long it would take to recover, but within a few years, even these most poisoned lakes started having life in them. They started, like, there were bacteria that could actually live on the, you know, the raw minerals and what would be the poison gases to us. And, and then from them, algae and little insects began to feed. And pretty soon, within a few years, they were amazed. There were like fish back in these lakes and, and plants growing up everywhere. And beavers moved into these valleys and, and deer and elk. And, and, you know, 10 or 15 years later, it looked like things had been knocked down, but it wasn't a wasteland at all. What if God... There's areas of our lives that seem totally wasted, and God is saying, you know, if you'll sow some seed out there, I'll release life, because in that seed are the instructions for the future. I mean, do you understand, like, do you know how tiny your, your, the human seed is that, that causes you to, you know, be conceived and born and stuff like that. And in that tiny, tiny microcosm of a human sperm and egg are the instructions, not just for your life and for all that you'll do, but for every generation that will come after you. And how much more, you know, these, these little offerings carry instructions like, God, how, what do you want the future to look like? You know, well... Just obey. You know, I'm not telling you to do it randomly or just like, uh, you know, do it without being led by the Lord. But I'm saying if the Lord's speaking to you, just like that widow, she took her little <laughs> jar of oil and she started pouring and a continuous miracle was released. Seeds are God's future containers, a blueprint for the future. 
An apple seed is not just an apple, but a tree. In the apple seed is not just an apple, but a tree that gives for years and contains future generations of trees. Here's another seed, and Eric and Regina, it was part of their testimony. Our children are seeds. And God designed the world so that no matter how bad life is in one generation, there's another generation coming of children who have the potential to live a life that we've never seen or imagined. This is why the devil hates children. It's why abortion is an abomination to the Lord because it's cutting off God's plan for the future. And so I just want to encourage all you godly, uh, you know, young men and women, get married, have kids, and raise them in a godly way because this is the way this is the way the kingdom spreads, you know, so, and, and you know, the, the beauty is, and I love that there's a spirit of adoption here, that even people that have biologically not been able to have children, there's so many people here who've chosen to adopt, and so we're taking a child that may have otherwise just been part of the system or may have been an aborted fetus and raising that child into a godly man or woman. Thank you, Jesus. Our children are seeds. That, you know that when, when it looked like it was all over before it began, Adam and Eve had fallen, and the serpent it seemed like he had tricked them all, and he was in charge. God spoke the gospel. Before he spoke it to Adam and Eve, he spoke it to his enemy. And he said, by the way, that woman who you deceived, she's going to have a seed, and her seed will crush the, your there'll be enmity between your seed and her seed and her seed will crush your head. You might bruise his heel, but he's gonna crush your head. I'm telling you, that prophecy has made the devil nervous for thousands of years, you know. And uh, so our children are seed, our words are seeds. This is what's so great, you know. Like sometimes we say, I have nothing else to do, but I can open my mouth and every word contains a future reality in an immature form. God help us put a watch over our mouth. Why? Because, you know, um, just like the sower sows the seed, this is the parable of the sower, Mark 4, Luke 8, uh, Matthew 13, and Jesus says, I want you to understand what I'm talking about. The word of the seed is the word of God. So he's saying the sower sows the seed and it's going to change and it's going to grow and it's going to feed and it's going, you know, the future's contained in the seed. He's saying this is the word of God. Do you understand the word of God in your mouth is just like the word of God in God's mouth? That we, we, what we say releases future realities and it's not only if we're quoting the Bible, but it's like if the Bible is in us and, you know, our mind is renewed and our heart is given, then the words we say are going to be truth and life. They're going to give life to others. How many of you would like to say, God, I want to I have a total supernatural remake <laughs> of the way I talk? Do you understand why that there's so much instruction in the New Testament about like how we speak is actually important. You know, it's not because God's upset or he's offended, like, oh, I never heard that before. He's heard it all. But it's like he doesn't want that to be what comes out of our mouth. He wants blessing to come out of our mouth. 
I mean, when I was a little boy, my mom, who you know, was not a spiritual giant by any means, uh, but she used to say, hey, if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. That kept us all pretty quiet <laughs> until we forgot it and <laughs> with our friends, you know, but, that, but isn't that, I mean, so seeds, offerings are seeds, and every offering we give instructs the future and connects our lives with the love of God and the soil of his promises. And so the offering that we sow, it goes into the soil of the love of God. It goes down, it roots in that love, it builds up through our life, and it releases fruit in the world around us. Blessed is the one. Thank you, Lord. I heard a loud sound, and I thought it was my alarm saying that I had to shut up, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, Jesus. You know, but here's the thing. Just like we, we, most of us can't eat dirt. Like, you know, I know there's weird diets and people eat clay and all kinds of stuff. But, and maybe that's not weird. Maybe I'm just weird because I don't understand why it's important. But in general, we don't sit down to a plate of dirt and think, man, this was great. You know, could I have a little more of that yellow clay? And... Uh, but we plant seeds in soil, and the seeds turn into amazing things. You know, the seeds turn into fruit and vegetables and grass that grows. And if you get heat, grass-fed beef or lamb or what you know, whatever our favorite foods are, almost all of our food starts with dirt. But it wouldn't be food unless there had been seeds that were sown. And so it's like I, when we're sowing seeds and offerings, we're making the world a better place. Every hospital, every university, every training school, every orphanage that's been built by the volunteer, voluntary giving of God's people just has filled this world with light in Jesus' name, and we want it to continue. So when we're when we're planting seeds, we're planting for the future, you know, and even uh, what seems like a small offering can end up uh, growing into a giant sequoia tree that's so big that to study it, these scientists have to use uh, mountain climbing gear and climb up to measure the different kinds of climates. You know that for years, people couldn't figure out how, how a, a sequoia or a redwood tree or any tree over a certain height, how the fluid could flow all the way from the bottom to the top. They didn't understand it because they thought it had to do just with, with uh, fluid tension going up the tube. And then, but recently people discovered, oh, God is so smart. You know, there's all these little electric electric charges that actually move the fluid far beyond the power of gravity. And I, I just pray that you're going to plant seeds that's going to defy natural rules. Okay. Uh, and a, a little tiny seed can yield a gigantic structure, you know. And so when you're, uh, you can see the little tiny seeds of the sequoia, they're like the size of a tomato seed. And, but out of that can come something that goes on for thousands and thousands a year and, and brings forth generation after generation after generation. I love it. That, the, the, the top cone there contains thousands and thousands of seeds, and the cone's about this big. I used to have one that I showed when I first moved here, and uh, the first time I showed it, 
the people didn't believe me that that was the cone. They thought that was the seed. And I said, no, this is the cone. And in this cone are, are like 20,000 seeds. All right. So um, I just pray a blessing on your ability to give, a blessing on your ability to, to hear the Lord. And we know this, you know, that when we give, it'll be given back to us. And it's proportional. It, it'll be good measure. It'll be God's faithful. He's not going to cheat us. It'll be shaken together. He's going to make sure that you can get a full return. It's going to be running over. It, it, our cup is full and running over. And it's going to be given back to you. And so there's this amazing encouragement we have that as as we give, we get more, that he multiplies seed to the sower, and in the process, we feed the hungry. There's bread to the eater. It's just the best, you know? And so, you know, we always get back more than we give, and, you know, sometimes when we understand this, we go, it's a motivation to give more, but it's it's never the reason we give more. It's a benefit of our generosity. As soon as we make it a motive, it's sort of like, okay, have you ever noticed God can't, you can't manipulate God. It's just terrible, you know? So, (laughs) but you know why? Because he's sanctifying our hearts because he doesn't want us treating him like it's a game. And uh, so the benefit of giving is is an increase, but it's not the motive. And uh, because otherwise we would become greedy. And I've, you know, people did that. When I was a young believer, one day, this this young guy, younger than me in the Lord, he wanted a brand new, he had a certain uh, vehicle that was on his heart, you know, and and he, but he didn't know how he could afford it, so he thought, well, I know, I'll give Charlie, that was my name in California, Charlie, and uh, I'm going to give him my old pickup, and uh and, and I'm going to sew it to him, and then I'm just going to wait until I get this brand new uh, vehicle that he had in his heart. And so he gave me this old pickup truck. Well, it was great because I'd been on my knees. We, we'd gotten this, this really terrible, ugly fixer-upper, and I, we were thinking how we could fix it. And so I had this idea of building a beautiful stone corner in the room, having a wood stove there because we heated by wood. And, but I needed a truck to go out to the woods to get the rock. Well, so I'm praying. Then he, he comes to see me. He says, hey, the Lord told me to give you this truck. I'm thinking, like, sounds good to me. So I drove the truck all summer, got all the, the rock and stuff. Meanwhile, the guy that he went to work with <laughs> out in the woods hated me. And I didn't know that. And I kept thinking, man, he was giving me these terrible prophecies, how I... <laughs> how I had done all these terrible things and I'd eaten the sheep and fleeced the flock and I'm like, what are, what's this guy talking about? So I found out that he was mad because um, his friend had given me his truck. Well, then I found out the whole thing. So at the end of the summer, I gave him his truck back and, uh, <laughs> and he confessed to me why he had given it to me. You know, So there was this thing, he couldn't manipulate God. I'm sure God took care of him later. But uh, meanwhile, he really blessed me because I was able to fix his house up and we eventually were able to sell it for a, a profit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here's the last reason why it's so good to give is that when we give, it releases God's creative ability. God is able 
to make all grace abound toward you, that you would always have sufficiency toward every good work. And so God always works with what we have. And even the smallest change can totally, radically change our world. Back to our early days. I was 26 years old. We'd been Christians for about four or five years. And uh, we were so poor. I had, I had gone to work for this guy teaching in a Christian school, and he was paying me $600 a month, and that included driving school bus uh, and, and being the mechanic on the school bus. God, amazing that all those children survived. And uh, especially because I had to put on chains in the winter and take them off and all, all kinds of stuff. But in the middle of this, we have no money. We're living in a double-wide trailer on, in a cow pasture that... Uh, that you know, and it was a real old double-wide trailer that would freeze every night and it would heat up any time the sun came out. It was like an oven. And on top of that, a lot of times I had to ride my bicycle to work because I couldn't afford gas to drive to work every day. It was 10, really, this sounds like a story, but it was 10 miles uphill uh, to work. And so people thought I was cute and athletic and that I just wanted to work out. And actually, I was saving money so we could go to meetings. You know, we had midweek meetings in people's homes, and, and it was very, it was a priority to us. So we saved the money so we could get to the meetings. And we always tithed because when we were brand new Christians, someone told me to tithe, so we just did it. And on top of that, we gave, we gave offerings because we liked missionaries, so we had a few missionaries that we supported. And so, but I'm in this time with God, like, God, you know, why are we so poor? And, and I had promised this guy I'd work for him for two years, so he was taking full advantage of that commitment. And meanwhile, some friends of ours were starting to build houses, and they're making a lot of money. And I'm thinking, man, God, I, I don't know how we'll ever even get out of this mess. And in the middle of that, someone handed me a book about money by a man named Malcolm McGregor. It's out of print now, but... I, but in it, I, as I read it, it was like I got revelation, and I said, and I calculated what we were giving, and at that point, we, and we had never calculated it before, but we were giving 12% of our income, and, you know, and then, and I actually thought, you know, that's not very good for how long we've been saved, you know. I don't know why I thought that, but I, I, so I told Ann, I said, Ann, I know what the problem is, how we're going to get out of this. She said, what? And I said, well, we're going to increase our giving, and it was very small amount. I'm sure the church bookkeeper didn't notice, but it was, I said, we're going to go from giving 12% to giving 15%, and her eyes kind of got big, because <laughs> like a lot of times we didn't have food, and she was pregnant with our second child, and... Uh, and she said, okay, if that's what the Lord told you. So we started giving a couple dollars more. And within a year of that decision, God had opened some doors and we were able to make a down payment on this fixer-upper that was out in the woods on a, you know, a 200 yards of dirt road driveway through woods um, and this house was so ugly when we first showed it to our friends and showed it to one of her friends and she looked inside and she went, oh. And what? We were really happy, you know. It was way better than the, the cow pasture trailer. And, uh, 
And so we stayed there and we fixed it up and God blessed us and we worked hard and we painted it and made it look better than it was. And after about four years, we, we actually tried to sell and it didn't sell and we took it off the market. And one day when we were at church with poopy diapers in the toilet, this is back in the days of cloth diapers and right before we were leaving for church, things happened. And, so, and the realtors knew us and so they just brought these people by. Even <laughs> We were at church and they made us an offer that was more than we were asking or had been asked, you know, it was the top price, and we sold it. And then, and that winter before, we had thought, we had gotten a small inheritance, and we thought, you know, if we could sell this house, and we take this inheritance, we could build a house cash. Do, if we could find a really cheap lot, and I did all the work myself. And so all those both happened, and we spent the next year or so building this house, on weekends and at night, and uh, it was a lot of hard work. And a lot of friends helped us, that was wonderful. But by, by the time we got the house finished, somebody gave us a late model used car, and we, we actually, like we owned a house without a mortgage. And our, our goal was to go to the mission field. We thought we'll build this house, and one day God will send us to Fiji. You know, or some, that was our idea of the mission field, you know. So, so uh, four, we lived in the house for four years, and people got jealous because we had a, a house without a mortgage, and w- then we had this fairly late model used car. It really wasn't very fancy, but for our, this was poor, poor place up in the mountains, so people thought it was fancy. And... Uh, and then we did sell the house four years later, and we came to Pennsylvania. <laughs> and, and I'm so glad. And we came, I mean, we came, and, you know, we were kind of terrified. We, tr- we tried to save the money because we thought, well, if we don't buy another house, we have to pay taxes on all this income. And so we were struggling at the time when Ann said we gave our first offering here. And uh, isn't God good? Like he took that little change and it changed our life and it changed this place and it's changed every place that gets changed from this place is a reverberation from that little decision of a couple 26-year-olds just saying, God, how can we change the impact of our life? And we obeyed. Just a thought. So... Here's what I want to say in conclusion. One is we, we just want to be thankful and begin to joyfully use what we do have. We want to partner with God because he's rejoicing over us. You know, he's singing a happy song over us. His delight is in our prosperity. It doesn't feel like it when you're in that situation. Can you imagine that, that poor widow who came to Elisha and she's like in panic and distress, and God's doing a happy dance over her and says to Elisha, just tell her to get some vessels and, you know, watch what I do. Anyway, so so when it comes to giving first fruits, I'll, I'll do this super fast. You can stand up, but in case, I think there are handouts that have this information, but in case you... It just helps to hear it. One is, this is something we do cyclically. We've been doing it every year now for over 10 years. 
The second thing that's very important is that we do it in faith, that it's not just something we do, but it's something where we interact with God, we pray, we say, God, what would you have us to give? And, and we can always, God gives us a number. Ann and I, through the years, we always seek the Lord and we say, God, how much do you want us to give? And it's amazing, and one of our delights is year after year, I, I, maybe every time we've had the exact same number. Maybe there's been... A, a little bit of a, a difference, but it has been very small. And I think we've always gone with the larger of the two numbers, but that's just how we do it. It's not, and then number three is it's sacrificial. You know that David said, I'm not gonna give God something that costs me nothing. That, that a, a true offering always involves a sacrifice that we're going like, oh God, you know? And, uh, and so it's just, you know why? Because God, it's just a place of trust, a place of trust that God said it. And here's the, the wonderful part, is that when we do it, and Eric and Regina modeled this so well with the, the card there, that we focus, we say, God, we want breakthrough in these areas, and we list them. You can list one or two or three or four, and this is the harvest that we're targeting, like we want breakthrough in our business, in our family, in our ministry, in my life, direction, guidance. There's so many good things. And as you just ponder and you say, God, what is it that we want to see breakthrough in? And this is what we sow into when we're sowing. This is awesome about it's a free will offering and you get to do whatever you want with it. And I know and many people write down, just want more of God. I just want you know, blessing or, you know, and that's fine, you know, like, I'm good, God, I don't need anything, but I want you to, I want to challenge you, like, there are things where your life could be expanded, and these are things that, that we just write them down, we say, God, I'm sowing into this because I want to see the testimony of your goodness, amen, amen, all right, so I want to pray for you for hearing hearts. And that just that over these next couple of weeks as we, we ponder and we wait before the Lord, that this becomes a, just such a holy offering once again in 2021. So lift your, lift your hands, your hearts. Father, thank you that you didn't spare your son, but you gave him to, for us. And with him, you gave us all things. So we pray we would position ourselves in your love and that our hearts would be open to hear. Holy Spirit, we pray that, that we would have hearing hearts, that as we seek you, we would find you, that we would hear what you're saying, that you would stir it up, that you would put it in our hearts, that it would be clear and simple. We pray you'd give us targets and amounts and that this would be a day of great joy on the first fruits offering. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Amen. amen.